The Athletic. Lauren Hill. So difficult to stop. Oh! And then he's down to Hada. And then Kampen there. in Hada. Miedema. Miedema van de Donk is mee. Miedema! Goal, 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 goal. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast Euros Edition. Coming up, France win, just. But is it oh no no for Katoto? And as for who else goes through from Group C, well, we'll have to see. It's Lindsay Hooper here and joining me today, she's been curled up into a ball and thrown home by Jons de Tier from the city of Manchester Stadium. It's goal correspondent Amy Ruskai and that's how you travelled to us, right? I wish it was because the motorway went down to one lane on the way home and it probably would have been quicker than that. So maybe next time. Oh, what is it with roads? Uh, and readying herself for the clash of the aisles tomorrow from The Athletic, it's Kiva O'Neill. Uh, what's your pre-match routine, Kiva? Exactly the same as Rachel Fairness, and she told me this exclusively last year. She has a few headers, just heads the ball, gets to know it. So I feel like I might just go to Southampton tomorrow and just, you know... If there's any footballs knocking about, just ask someone if I can have a few headers. A few headers. That's it. That's the secret. You shouldn't just copy, though, what Rachel Furness does. Yeah, but she's me idol, so... Fair enough, OK. Uh, some good news as well to kick off the pod. This Euros, uh, drum roll, has become the most attended women's Euro of all time, surpassing the previous record of 240,045 set at Euro 2017. And we haven't even finished the group stages. We've not got to the knockouts yet. Um, so for both of you who've been going round to different matches, I've been doing that too where has been the best atmosphere from the games that you've been at so far Amy I mean I was at the opener so the opener was pretty good but I did at the Iceland game today I did get to witness the Viking clap a couple of times and the Iceland fans were really good so yeah it was like it was like literally going to a game in Iceland they packed the CFA out like that so I did enjoy today as well Mm. Kiva I was at Brentford, I've been at Brentford a couple of times to watch Germany and at first I was around all their friends and family of the players, which is quite cool, good atmosphere there. And then again, I was around, you know, more German fans and I ended up waving a Germany flag and everything. So I enjoyed being in among that because I don't think they really expected to beat Spain in the fashion that they did. So that was that was good fun to get involved and be a, a Germany fan for a couple of nights. We might have been on opposite sides of Brentford Community Stadium. You were in with the German fans at one point. Um, I was with the Denmark fans for the first game. And the Denmark fans knew just how to create an atmosphere. Bearing in mind that they went behind very early. It wasn't a great game for them to endure. But the atmosphere loved it. I'll put that one up there. Although, of course, Old Trafford, 68,000 probably takes it. Uh, Let's talk about the matches then that have happened today. Uh, First up, it was a tricky encounter for the French. They took on Belgium. France. 
France 2, Belgium 1 on Bastille Day. We mentioned this last night um, just to give it that extra oomph when we wanted to watch. Uh, well, they did it the hard way, didn't they, France? Um, secured their route through to the quarterfinals, scraping past Belgium in the end 2-1. They did miss a hugely controversial penalty at the end. And having had all of the preamble before we even got on to this show, I know Kiva would have been right behind that because you love karma, don't you? Absolutely. I mean, mm. that at the end, Nicky Evrod has, I think, been my favourite player. Two penalty saves. I'm just, I'm thinking about getting a, a Belgium shirt with a name on the back after tonight. Even though they lost, it's just iconic. We will come on to goalkeepers and the piece that you've written in The Athletic shortly. For you, was that a penalty, first of all? The, the arm didn't look like it was in an unnatural position, just that she was moving it away from behind her back. It was so harsh, wasn't it? On replays, it kind of looks like Alders' her arm come out a little bit, but she's obviously moving and her arm just naturally goes that way. You play that in real time, which the I think might have failed to do when the ref went over to you know watch it on the screen. Then you know that is obviously you know just accidental. And then for us to get a red card just felt so sour. It was just like horrible to watch. And then obviously you know uh, the goalkeeper comes up with the save and you know second save. I think I read an Optostat which said no goalkeepers made two penalty saves since I think a couple of goalkeepers did it in at the Euros in 2013. So you know another big moment for Everard. Do you ever feel like that at home when you're watching VAR in action? You kind of watch the replay and you think. Just, just play it in, in normal time. Play it in normal time. Stop playing it in slow motion. Like I feel like if you sit at home and watch a game on TV, I'm screaming that at the TV because you, you feel like it's it's just not kind of representative when it's slowed down to the speed that it is. Yeah, and, and it will highlight anything. It will magnify it even further, won't it, when it's slowed down that much. But up until this point, Amy, VAR has helped matches. When it has been used, it might have taken a bit of time for a few games, but ultimately it's helped get the decisions right. So what are your thoughts on it overall? I think it's been all right this tournament. I didn't think that the the penalty for England against Norway, Ellen White's, was a penalty. But I think other than that, like the... I watched the Netherlands game last night and the penalty that Portugal got on first like viewing, I thought that's never a penalty. Then VAR gives it a different angle and the referee actually gets to go over and look at it and it's it's actually clearly a penalty. I think it has been used quite well. It's been a, a little bit slow a couple of times, but I think it's been used quite well with a couple of um mm, moments. But overall, I've, I've enjoyed it a lot more than I enjoyed it throughout the Premier League since it's, it's come in, that's for sure. Everard, who you love now, Kiva, the save was one thing. I think Wendy Renard, her follow-up miss was another. I, I, I don't quite know how that happened. I mean, she'd had so many chances throughout the game, what you expect. And then, you know, the penalty. I almost didn't really watch it because I was like, well, she scored, obviously. And she didn't. And then it was like, oh, well, obviously she's going to follow it in. And then it just didn't happen. So it was a bit of a weird night for France. You know, you expected as soon as he scored and was it the sixth minute, they were just going to you know, roll Belgium over in similar fashion to, to the first game. And obviously that didn't happen. So that was a bit of a bit of a weird one. They're probably glad to sort of just get it, get that game over and done with. And obviously now, you know, the they've topped the group. So yeah, they, they'll feel just, yeah, glad to uh, be done with that one, I think. Let's give Belgium their moment in this because it was the first touch in the penalty area for them that resulted in their equalising goal. And it was just a case of France had been so much on the front foot. 
it was a surprise. They en- ended up with this brilliant ball that that was played through. And I have to say that Belgium, they were resolute. So I thought their defensive performance was pretty impressive anyway. They only needed a counter-attack like this and they could get back in it. Ultimately, it wasn't enough because France found another way. But at 1-1, Amy, are you thinking for Belgium that this would be one of the results of their year? I feel like everybody looking at this game, like you said, after France scored so early, I saw it and I thought, well, France are just going to absolutely cruise that. The way that they played in the Italy game, you just thought, wow, that attack is going to you know, just tear Belgium apart. I think it will do Belgium a lot of good to kind of see how they performed against a team like that, you know, a team that is so, you know higher ranked and came off the back of such a flying result, you know. It's a it's a tough one for for Belgium to take in terms of the result, but I think you know they got a, a group that's kind of still coming through and is still at a much earlier stage in their development than France. That it'll be an experience that carries a lot of the younger players forward, definitely. And I think that yeah, while it's it's still a defeat, I think that they can take a lot of positives from it. We also saw in this one Katoto go off. We saw at the end the huge ice pack on her knee. Um, we've had an update on that from Diacra saying Katoto has sprained her knee, in fact. Um, that's all we know at the moment. It's the same knee that was injured before, but a different injury this time. Does that spell a real problem for France for this tournament, do you think, Amy, if Katoto's missing for the rest of it? It's a weird one because, you know, Katoto is one of the best strikers in the world. Some people will argue the best striker in the world. But then you look at France's team and you have players like Melvin Mallard on the bench who plays for Lyon, who's fantastic. Sandy Baltimore on the bench who plays for PSG, who's also fantastic. Diane, Cascarino, Grace Gioros with a hat-trick against Italy. I think it would be a massive miss for the tournament. Kind of a bit like, you know, you want to see the best players in this tournament. It's such a shame that Pateus is missing, not just for Spain, but for anybody that, that wants to watch this tournament and see the best players on show. I think France is not a one-player team and they have so much attacking talent. They will miss Katoto if she is missing, but I don't think it would sort of make or break their tournament in a way because they have so much attacking talent. And sometimes you get that little extra, do you know, when you're missing like a really key player, an important person who is really valuable to the team, they almost want to do it for them. So, yeah, I, I hope it's not serious because I absolutely love watching Katoto. I think she's fantastic. But I think if she is out, then France have got so many attacking options and I think that they can they can play through it and, and almost play for her as well. I mean, she's an incredible player, so quick, great at dribbling, great shots, like just silky smooth. And, you know, you want those that those players playing, but obviously, you know, that'll be a bit of a knock. France have a, a lot of great players, so I think they'll be all right. But, you know, you, you want the players like Toto to definitely be around for the latter stages of this tournament. But, you know, hopefully now with, with France already through, you know, they can, you know, get working on her. Hopefully she'll she'll be all right. Yeah, and um, it was over to Mbok Bathy then in the end who got that crucial goal uh, 2-1. So closer than we thought in that one. Let's talk about your goalkeeping feature now then, Kiva, because those watching on the BBC will have seen Rachel Brown Finnis uh, doing some in-depth goalkeeping analysis at half-time. Uh, you've been speaking with her about goalkeeping at this tournament. Um, just fill us in on the article that you've written and uh, the amount of stellar saves that you feel there have been already. There've just been so many. I feel like I was never obsessed with goalkeepers until this tournament. Now I'm just some kind of like 
goalkeeping like expert, even though I'm not, because obviously I had to get Rachel to sort of talk me through it all. And she did quietly blow my mind with some of the stuff like agility and how much, you know, women goalkeepers work on that because they are smaller and the goal is obviously bigger and you know they have to get across using the speed rather than just making one step and then diving if they're six foot something but obviously the average height of a women's goalkeeper as Rachel told me is five foot nine so you know getting across does rely on that you know footwork and agility so that was just like you know interesting to listen to her speak about that and having watched the thing from the beginning of the tournament there's just been so many saves that I've just been you know if I'm at the ground on my feet for them no matter you know who it was I think it started with Mary Earps against Austria that save I think it was Barbara Dunst with the shot and it just looks like it's going in because you know Earps is right by her right hand side post and then she just flies over and managed to you know pull it round the post and I think that's um, you know that sort of started it for me I was like you know then on the lookout for saves and They've just been so many. Christensen for for Denmark yesterday was incredible. You've seen all the all the players gathered around it to celebrate because they knew you know what an important save that was. And they've just been so many. Obviously, it was at the Germany game as I've mentioned, and and Frome's for um, Germany. Just that's a goal all day. We run through it in the piece, but it's just like some remarkable saves and I think it's about time female goalkeepers get the flowers because a lot of the time they'll go viral for the wrong reasons you know if they make a mistake people hear about that more like I can't wait to you know hopefully the Euros Twitter or whatever will put out like a compilation of the best saves because we've been treated to some phenomenal goalkeeping Mm. performances obviously they've been high scoring games obviously there have been mistakes like Panos for Spain giving the ball away but you know a caveat to that is she had 100% you know, passing accuracy in the first game, incredible distribution. Goalkeepers she didn't in that one though. No, it was quite early on as well, wasn't it? But mm. you know, we can overlook that. I think we're growing as you know people, hopefully, and there's like less abuse around you know picking on goalkeepers for mistakes they make. Like, let's talk about how good they are because they've been absolutely on fire. The fact that there hasn't been as much said, because in previous major tournaments, I feel there's always been some vitriol towards goalkeepers and I've not seen as much. And even even you've said yourself, Kiva, you've not had a negative comment on this article that you've written. And is, is that the first time that anything like that has happened? I clicked on it this morning. I was just like, oh, my God, everyone's being like so nice. And it's just like it's been a lovely reaction on social media. And that's so nice to see because that's I feel like is the tide turning a little bit hopefully you know we're, we're getting to a place where people are are respecting goalkeepers in particular but women's footballers and the athletes that they are like the humans they make errors let's not pull them down for it is the tide turning Amy is it about better goalkeeping because clearly Kiva in this article has managed to highlight loads of great saves but has the defending also got better and that's helping them one thing I've realised from speaking to people from a few different countries as well is that goalkeeper coaches wasn't a normal thing for a lot of goalkeepers sort of coming through. I remember speaking to Carly Telford and she said that she didn't get a specialist goalkeeper coach till she was like well into her career. And I think that just sort of those sort of articles where you actually explain, okay, you're going to come for women's goalkeepers and say that they're rubbish and they do this and that, but do you not realise that most of them have spent a lot of their career part-time. They never had a proper goalkeeper coach until later on. They've only just gone professional to get that. I think that that is something that kind of blows your mind a little bit when you hear about it and 
for the casual fan that, you know, men's football fan that thinks everybody's got a specialist goalkeeper coach from the age of about 12. Maybe they don't realise. And the general standard as well, like you say about the defending, I think everything just got improved as the investment comes, professionalism comes and everything gets better. But I think that sort of specialist training that goalkeepers get nowadays is completely, it's so valuable. And, and people probably don't realise that until they're actually told that. And the goalkeeper coach often doubles up now as the set-piece specialist. That happens with quite a few of the nations I've noticed at this tournament. And I, I've often thought that set-pieces has usually been a route one to scoring a scrappy goal, and that's not happening as much. So that might not be a coincidence, Kiva. Yeah, Rachel was speaking about this, how Sweden and Norway and other teams in the past have you know, tried to just crowd the goalkeeper and we're seeing less of that mm. as well. And it's quite noticeable, you know, goalkeepers now are sort of not getting left alone, but, you know, there's sort of that you know, goalkeepers at a, a level that has improved where they're able to come and, and claim the ball more confidently. But I think we're seeing a lot of confident goalkeeping at this tournament and, you know, it, it, has, it has been amazing to watch. And I think, you know, we sort of touched on it a little bit there but it's that infrastructure having that having expert coaches from grassroots level all the way up to Mary Earps, Hannah Hampton, Ellie Roebuck as Rachel mentions in the piece will have had expert goalkeeper coaches you know professionals working with them since under 15s under 17s and that's really important you know to to keep on developing and you know I think goalkeepers are, are the best right now in the women's game that, that they ever have been and what's the next level what will be at the next tournament will they even be better then they'll be monsters won't they they just keep on being I mean I think the superhumans anyway but they're just going to keep on building on those superpowers that they already have. My favourite part of goalkeeping is the goalkeepers' union. I, I love hearing about that. Um, maybe that's one for another time. France, though, they are through, coming back to that. But the earlier match had a draw, so we'll talk about that one next. A thoroughly entertaining match kicked off the day in Manchester as Iceland held a frustrated Italy to a one-all draw. Uh, both teams disappointed with the result as they both now uh, know that they had huge opportunities to get three points and get some distance between them. Um, Amy, tell us about this game. You were at it. The stats say that Italy were in charge of this one. I think you've just summed it up nicely there. Both teams disappointed. When the full-time whistle went, you saw players from both teams just slumped to the ground, sort of like missed opportunity. Iceland started really well. They scored after like three minutes. They had quite a few opportunities and they played really well. And then Italy kind of grew into it and Iceland weren't sort of in need of going forward too much because Italy were not creating that much. And then the second half, you know, Italy made a lot of changes. Um, I think we'll get onto that, that starting 11 in a second, so I won't dwell on it, but... They made changes, they got better, they grew into the game, they created chances and they should have gone maybe two, three, one up. And then towards the end, Italy, uh, Iceland, sorry, could have could have won it uh, with a couple of chances at the end and it just finished 1-1. And it was, yeah, just one of those where both teams kind of came off the pitch and thought, wow, we should have won that game. I have to confess, I love a long throw. Was this a goal that was pleasing on the eye for you, Kiva? Do you like them? Long throws are absolute chaos and I welcome them. We need more of them at the tournament. Just everyone start throwing it long, please. That was so enjoyable to watch because as soon as you've seen it drop down, you just felt like, oh, they haven't dealt with it here. Yeah? They haven't dealt with it. And then obviously, you know, what a finish it was as well, just sort of slicing away from the ball and lifting it into the top corner. And that all came from 
the chaotic long throw, which, you know, is just, just an art form really, isn't it? It is, it is. And one for another future article. I mean, you're never going to have any time to yourself again because we're going to keep giving you <laughs> suggested topics. Why didn't Barbara Bonansea start? Because she came on at half time, got player of the match. Why not start her from the very beginning? I, I'm not, sorry, I didn't sit in the press or after I went to the mix on, but from what I heard, it was it was not sort of a case of we wanting to rest her. It was almost like a tactical decision. When the lineup came out, I... It was the fact that both Bonansea and Girelli were on the bench that blew my mind because you got two players there that can win a game for you in an instant, that can change a game. To have both of them on the bench, not just one of them on the bench, for a game that was almost a must-win just confused me. And, you know, at half-time, I don't know if it was kind of Bertolini admitting in a way that she got it wrong and she brought Bonansea on at half-time and she went on to be player of the match, as you say, and... And Girelli came on five minutes after half time, and more subs came, and uh, I don't know, but I I know that after this game she'll be starting the next game. That's for sure. You summed up wonderfully the disappointment at the full time whistle of of the scenes on on both sets of fans' faces. The managers also backed that up. So uh, the Italy coach Bertolini said, "This is a European Championship of suffering for us." Then the Iceland coach as well, Halderson, uh, said we could have scored two more goals and we created some very good chances to score. But football is also about luck and it wasn't our luck today. They both feel bad about this result. What do you make of those comments? Yeah, I mean, Italy have not had a good time really, have they? And I think a lot of us, I mean, me included, and a lot of people around me were thinking dark horse for the tournament, not really being talked about too much, had a great World Cup, have only got better since the World Cup three years ago. And I mean, that first game against France was like nothing, I don't think anybody imagined, not even France. So it's just been a, a really strange kind of tournament for Italy. For Iceland, yeah, you know, I think that's what it is. They... They created good chances. They didn't take them. They they actually played quite well. They played well in the game against Belgium. Probably should have won that too. So it's been a difficult start. And but I mean, for the neutral, it sets it up for the final group games. That you know everything's to play for. And we've got a few of these that we've still got to look forward to. Um, unlike uh, Northern Ireland and England, where we already know their fate before they play tomorrow, um, there are now final group games which will be deciders for the runners-up. Where's your money going on this one, Kiva, in this group? Such a difficult one. I was looking at the table before and it is wide open, which I completely welcome. Like, let France stroll through and, you know, we'll let the others sort of fight it out. But I think it's going to be tough, tough for Iceland. Obviously, they're playing France. So that's, I think, why they look so gutted at the end of that game, because, you know, that was a massive opportunity for them. Italy, I think, can roll into this game, take a little bit of confidence out of, you know, obviously going into the game, playing Belgium. I feel like they'll think, well, you know, if we, if we can do something here, then we're, we're through pretty much because, you, you know, you'd imagine France are going to gonna win, even if they take the foot off the gas a little bit. Uh, so I think it's going to be interesting. I don't know. I've got, got a, a sneaky little feeling for Italy, but Belgium wouldn't wouldn't shock anyone, I don't think. Do you concur, Amy? See, it's set up quite weirdly because France are through, so you think, you know, they're through as group winners. Maybe they rest a few players, rotate a little bit. Iceland, really good in the mix zone today. Glodis Vigos Dottia was really good in the mix zone today. She was saying, on any day we can beat France, like on our best day we can beat France. You know, that have that belief that she called it like the Icelandic mentality. They're going to have to go in that game and believe that they can win and they need to win it. So 
if France rest a few players, then, you know, I mean, they could, Iceland have the players to hurt anybody, really. But I think it's going to be quite interesting. And, um, yeah, it'll be an interesting final day to keep across as, as the results come in. Well, round two of the group stages completed it. Uh, we're now going to look ahead to Group A's final matches. You're listening to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast, Euro Edition. Time now to look ahead then to tomorrow's matches, the conclusion of Group A, which means our first games that are playing at exactly the same time. Both of these 8pm kickoffs. What are you going to do? You know, a split screen thing? Are you going to be dipping in on messages with other journalists at matches? What's What's your approach, both of you, for this? I think I'm going to watch the Austria game just because there's more riding on it. And then I'll, I've got a little iPad. I'll set the iPad up at the side with the game on, keep an eye on it. Maybe put the volume up a little bit so when the commentators get giddy, you turn your eyes towards it and don't miss the goal. But yeah, I think I'm going to put that Austria game on the big table. So I don't even have to ask Kiva now because basically you've just answered it for us. We're going to message you because we're both <laughs> at England, Northern Ireland you to find out what's going on in the other game, right? Fill us in. When I was at Southampton last time, uh, they had obviously there wasn't any other games on in the press. You know where you sit, they had uh, EastEnders on for quite a while before the game, which I enjoyed to be honest. There was no sound, but I enjoyed it. So I don't think that'll happen tomorrow. I think we'll get replays of the game, but you know, I'd welcome a little bit of EastEnders. That wasn't on my desk. You must have got a special desk. I think I'd get a piece of paper and blue tack it to the screen rather than watch EastEnders as well at the same time. Um, Not my choice of soap, ladies. Um, It's going to be nice and breezy anyway. Kiva, you are going to be at this one. I am. Um, Do you think that there's any chance Northern Ireland can produce a bit of a shock if Serena does some rotation? We don't think she's going to do much. Uh, But if England maybe have their eyes off the ball with this one. I mean, I don't think so, but I feel like Northern Ireland will be playing for pride because that's you know all they can play for now. They've got a, they've they've been putting in solid performances, but you know it's maybe come a little bit too early in their development where they're at as a squad, and you know you I, I just expect England to just have more fun. You know exactly what they did against Norway. You don't expect from what Serena was saying today that she's going to make a massive amount of changes, if any. You know she might play the same team to sort of keep that um, you know continuity because obviously from the Norway game to the quarter final, I think is it eight or nine days or something. You know you wanting your team to to play together going into that quarter final, which is crucial. So you want them to be in the swing of things rather than, you know, make a whole fleet of changes. And it's important to think to give other players minutes and, you know, England have plenty of players that could do with it. The likes of Chloe Kelly, I'd love to see a lot more of her, Nikita Paris, players like that I'd hope to see. But, you know, I think they will maybe just, Serena will stick to her guns on this and, and keep the side uh, what it was against Norway and yeah Northern Ireland I think they've just got to go out there and do what they did for the last couple of games that's heart on the sleeve football just go out and, and have fun and enjoy it and they'll definitely do that I think What then if we play Serena Wiegmann roulette what is the starting 11 going to look like have you got a number of changes or is it unchanged Amy? I think maybe like the the odd change, maybe you rest. But then even saying that, I was just going to say maybe you rest Beth Mead and play Chloe Kelly, but Beth Mead's in such good form that you put her on the bench, do you disrupt her rhythm? I don't know, maybe like one or two changes here or there. I think it's important to, I get what she's saying about rhythm, but I think it is important to kind of rest some legs that have been really key 
especially when you know you are through this group winners. I think maybe one or two. Kiva probably likes to see the Scouser Alex Greenwood get a start. Thought she did really well when she came on against Norway. You know, maybe something like that, which would provide sort of fresh legs and not take away from the squad stability and continuity that we were talking about before. So something like that. But obviously, yeah, I'm desperate to see Chloe Kelly. I just feel like this tournament could be her moment, and obviously, always back in the key to Paris, as I've already said. I think you will see both of those. I think we'll see about five subs being used. There will be maximum subs. But in terms of starts, I don't know, maybe one change, maybe two change. I don't think we're going to see very many at all. Right. In terms of Northern Ireland uh, and threats, who has played the best this tournament so far? I've been really impressed with Lauren Wade on on the right wing. Every time she gets the ball, she just wants to run. She's so quick. She hasn't always had, you know, the end product to get there, but I think that sort of speaks for Northern Ireland on the whole. Obviously, it was sad to lose Simone McGill so early in the tournament and um yeah, I think I've also obviously we spoke a lot about goalkeepers, but I'm going to be like this this uh, fangirl for goalkeepers now um, Jackie Burns has I think been amazing you know she's conceded six goals in two games which I think doesn't suggest that she's been great but actually you know there have been some really good saves and some really confident goalkeeping distribution there was a moment she got wrong against uh, Austria where she sort of gave the ball away and uh, Barbara Dunst, who had that shot, shot against Mary Earps, likes a shot from outside the box and looked to lob one in. And there was Jackie Burns right on a line all the way back to to tip it over. So she's been someone I've been looking at and watching and admiring, to be honest. So, yeah, I think they're sort of a couple of standout players. But, you know, this this squad is full of players living the dream, actually featuring in a major tournament. We, I don't think we can talk about that enough. They've never done this before. And it has been, you know, speaking to them after the games, the players, it, it has been such a special time for them, seeing the families wait for them after the games and interact. It's been a real, real journey for Northern Irish football and it's been great to follow. Well, before everyone gets their away kits at the ready for this one, um, I can reveal that... England for a third game running will be playing in their white kit. They're switching them for colour blindness reasons. Catherine Albany Ward of Colourblind Awareness said, We're obviously delighted when organisers and teams make decisions on kits to avoid kit clashes for colourblind fans and players. However, there's still a lot of work to be done with the less well known problematic colour combinations and especially around clashing goalkeeper and match official kits. Completely agree. I, I notice that myself sometimes. I don't have colour blindness. The socks, though, will be different, I am told, because otherwise there'd be a clash with Northern Ireland. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Well, if I were an Austrian fan, I'd be looking at the Norway game and I'd be rubbing my hands together at the massive opportunity to get a result in this one. Uh, Let's find out if that is the actual case from someone more in the know. Um, I caught up with commentator and the other Bundesliga podcaster, Tom Midler. Tom, you're in Austria. So first of all, tell us about the fever over there. Is there Euro fever? Yeah, definitely. Um, ever since 2017, really, the women's game here has been far more sort of on the agenda and in the public consciousness than it was uh, before. So the England game, you know, having to that start at Old Trafford for the England game was just the perfect one for Austria, really, to just reignite that interest because it hasn't been, I'd be lying to say that the interest has stayed the same since 2017. It's taken a dip in the middle, but uh, since drawing England, it's, it's come right back up. So what is the mood there about this final group game? 
I like that you described it as an opportunity. I think that's what everybody sees it as, really. Some people are saying, yeah, look, we're going to win it now after the 8-0, we're the favourites. I don't think that's true. I think a more measured opinion is that actually Austria are still the number 21 in the world. Norway are still former world champions, former Olympic champions, former European champions. This is a, a nation that are just a calibre above Austria still. And uh, although this does represent a great opportunity, I think it would be uh, remiss to, to see Austria as the favourites for this one. I'm wondering whether England have helped Austria out. Have they exposed Norway's weaknesses? Does that help with the tactics, the game plan? Or have they poked a bear that probably wants to rectify the situation and certainly get their own nation <laughs> back on side? Oh, we'll find out soon enough. Um, I'm worried that it will be the latter. You know, this Norway side has so much quality and it's actually, it's kind of a perfect situation for them to bounce back, isn't it? They've got this game now. If they qualify, if they go through and they beat Austria, then the England game will almost be put to bed. That'll be pretty much behind them. So there's a lot to be wary of. But, you know, it just on a factual basis, of course, England have done Austria a great favour. We were looking at the game and thinking, ah, it's a shame Austria didn't quite get the goal difference tally up against Northern Ireland uh, in the same way that Norway did. But then to to sort of get the self-confidence boost as well of knowing that, okay, actually we matched England for, for large periods of the game. We, we gave as good as we got there in that one. And then to see England do what they could do against Norway, um, th that's a big, that's a big boost for Austria. And the simple fact is the goal difference now has swung in Austria's favor and it means that a draw will be enough. So mm. that's a situation I didn't really foresee when, when Norway beat Northern Ireland 4-1. And we know they can be compact as well. So holding on to a lead or to a draw could be a real possibility. Did I see a, an update earlier that Laura Weinreiter is going to be back for this one? She's been back in training. That's right. She got the green light today after her positive COVID test. She's been fine throughout, apparently. She's uh, had very mild symptoms. She was back in training today. I still wonder if, uh, you know, just being back in training one day before the game is is a bit too late really to be match fit by by Friday evening. So I'm not sure, but uh, Wienreuter would be a great bonus if she if she were to come back for sure. So with that in mind, if you're looking at the squad, key personnel, do you think there'll be many changes? Who should we be watching out for? Well, actually, um, the goal scorer for the second goal, uh, Katarina Naschenweng, has also tested positive for COVID now since the game. So she won't be available, unfortunately. But in terms of the big figures, I think we can still look at Austria's main names. Nicole Biller's yet to score in the tournament for Austria. But, uh, you know, she's somebody with 54 goals in, in her 92 games now for Austria. It could be her time, you know. She's been deployed as the as a one up front uh, with these two banks of four behind. I'm sure she'll be deployed as the one up front again against Norway. Sarah Puntigam was a real engine in the middle for Austria against Northern Ireland. Sarah Zadrazil as well. Unbelievable the amount of times that she won the ball back. It, it was quite incredible. And that's what this Austria side do best. They may not be the best in Europe. They may not be the best in terms of talent, but they're so well coached. Irena Furman's got them so well drilled and they really just give it everything. And the problem that they've had so far has been turning these, uh, you know, when they conquer the ball back, when they win it back high up the pitch, managing to turn that into to golden chances for the strikers has been the difficult thing. And I think whoever they've got, uh, will, will, it will still be a problem against Norway. And we saw what England managed to do to Norway by simply not allowing Norway to have any attacks. I, I worry that Austria won't have the quality to, to uh, defend from the front like that. 
Uh, it's now going to be that these games kick off at identical times. So I'll be trying to keep across this one to find out who finishes runners-up at the same time as watching England against Northern Ireland. Um, I think that also means that the structure's probably been quite similar today in that they've had their press conference. Has anyone spoken about the approach for this and whether it is going to be more cagey to try and get that draw or is, are they going to go full out? Irina Furman said she was aware of the dangers of the situation now where Austria can play for a draw. She's not going to do that. She's not a coach who would do that. And it's, it's just not the mentality of this team. You know, they'll go for the win, whatever the, the case. You know, this is what Austria wanted before the Euros, the chance to play Norway, a win to go through. The draw is obviously a nice backup option. There's no doubt about that. But I think Austria are not going to rely on that. They will go forward. And I think even if it gets down into the second half and it's level, I think it'll be a while before we see Austria sort of try to shut up shop because it's it's not what they do best. You know, they've got a very good defence. They can do it. They, they don't seem to get overawed. They don't seem to get flustered. But at the same time, it's just too risky. If you imagine it at one all with half an hour to go, it's just very, very risky to sit back. And then you've, we've seen teams do this before where they kind of sacrifice their attacking options. And then when you do fall behind, it's really hard to switch that back on, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. Uh, thank you for your insight. Where will you be watching this one, Tom? Can you paint the picture? Yeah, there's a public viewing place in Vienna, which I'll be at. So um, there's actually a big brewery where they've got outdoor screens. Um, it's going to be lovely weather here. It's going to be over 30 degrees again tomorrow. So people will be sitting outside having lots of beers. There'll be plenty of fans in, in red shirts, in white shirts, supporting Austria and uh, probably a few Norway fans in there as well. But it should be a very good atmosphere to, to sit outside and enjoy the game. And hopefully we'll... Uh, We'll all have a really nice time tomorrow evening. Tom Midler there. Great to hear from him and soaking up atmosphere in Austria. I like the sound of where he's going to be watching that match. This one has got everything riding on it, Amy. There's a part of me that's slightly jealous that you get to watch this one in full and you're going to be giving it your full attention. It is difficult to call because Austria do know how to frustrate teams. They've shown us that. They showed us that on the opening day against England at Old Trafford. Norway, are they going to be bruised by what England did and, and wanting to respond? It's a weird one, isn't it? Because I kind of said this about Italy in the build-up to the Italy-Iceland game today. It's like, you know, is it a good time to play Italy or is it a bad time to play Italy? And you ask the same question about Norway. When you think about Norway and you think about the players that are in that team, you think about Ida Hegerberg, you think about Caroline Graham Hansen, you think about Guru Ryan, players that are not used to losing 8-0, they're not used to losing by big scorelines at all. Like, they're going to be itching to get on that pitch and put things right, as are the whole team. But, you know, these are going to, these are kind of the leaders, I think, of that. For Austria, I'm... I've been really impressed with them. I watched I watched the game against England in fall and then caught up on the, the game against Northern Ireland. And I watched them play England in November in Sunderland in the qualifiers for the World Cup. And they were like, you know, they were defensively sound, but they didn't really... But again, at Old Trafford, I thought their tactics were spot on. I thought they had a great plan. I thought they executed it well. And, you know, they, they almost nicked a point, really. So I'm interested to see how they look at that Norway game against England, the weaknesses that England exploited and how they look to exploit that themselves. And yeah, I am actually excited to sit at home, put my feet up, have a beer and watch it on the TV. I am jealous though of some people that have picked this game as accreditation that obviously a couple of months ago before we knew it was going to come to this and are going to be at it because I think that's going to be a really, really good game. It's got so much riding on it. 
Your quick thought on it, Kiva. Do you think that Austria break this down into blocks, you know, every 10 minutes that they can frustrate Norway and that front three, they're going to get even more on it, aren't they? I, I just think when Amy talks about their eagerness to want to score, I think if Austria can really get at them and deny them those opportunities for as long as possible, anything could happen in this. Yeah, I definitely think they can get joy from this game. You know, I haven't watched them in the Open at Old Trafford and then watched them against Northern Ireland. They they just sort of slowly grow into games and then frustrate their opponents. Maybe they didn't do so as much against England as they did against Northern Ireland. But, you know, seeing them after the game as well, seeing Manuel Zinsberger, obviously, you know, gate crash the press conference. This is a team with real belief in themselves. No one's really talking about them. That's probably, you know, adding to it a little bit as well. You know, they, they, they really want to pull this off. And, you know, I feel like I haven't watched them and watched how they perform. They're a team you kind of don't want to play against right now and offer your last game. And, you know, obviously Norway kicked things off with a nice win over Northern Ireland. No one expected them to get beat in that fashion by England. They're coming into this really like, you know, down in the dumps perhaps. And I think Austria could could be sort of, you know, the ones to keep an eye on and, you know, mm. if, they, if they do progress. Having said all of that, probably if you're in the Austria squad, the last thing you want to hear is Arda Hegerberg or the one of the Norway reporters, Phil O'Connor, told me it's Hegerberg when she says... We want to show our true face. So that might haunt them, knowing that Hegeberry or Hegeberg is wanting to do that. Uh, before we end, uh, you've seen each team play twice now. So who's going to be at Wembley, July 31st? Two teams, please. Uh, Kiva. I think Germany are just so efficient and I just can't see them not getting there. Obviously, yeah, I just... I just feel like them in England are the, the ones to look out for. Obviously, France were the first ones to really put a performance down and put a marker down on the tournament. But yeah, I think they're, they're the two ones that I'd say, you know, are the ones that I'm thinking, you know, how how couldn't they both make it there? But obviously, you know, side of the draws and I guess we'll we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, I just feel like I haven't watched Germany in both those games. I'm convinced something's happening there. And yeah, whether mm. they'll uh, be able to upset the Lionesses, I, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Amy, anything different? No, I've been really impressed with Germany. Really impressed. I was at both of their games. I think they're, they look like tournament Germany, right? Then for the other side, I think that, I think Sweden is slowly starting to grow into it. I think that it's either going to be them or England, really. But I, I picked Sweden before the tournament as the winners, so I feel like I should stick to my guns instead of changing midway through and jumping on the bandwagon and, and go for Sweden. And then I'm a bit different to Kiva and we're, we're not being boring in the same. <laughs> no, we don't want to bore people, not this late at night or early in the morning, whenever you're listening. So that's all we have time for for today's Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Uh, thank you to Kiva, to Amy, to Tom, who was out in Austria, and to you for listening. Uh, please continue to follow, subscribe to the channel, um, tell people about us as well. We are one of the only daily offerings during this Euro tournament, and I will sign off in the usual fashion. A bientôt. The Athletic.